Now, this morning, we are concluding our exploration of Colossians chapter 3, uh, verse 16, which says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, as we've been going through this verse, we have said the key teaching, the key thing that Stine is teaching us is that growing in Christ is a community project. Yes, God does grow us at the individual level, but he uses other people, other believers to grow us in Christ. It happens, we grow in Christ by allowing the true message of Christ to fill our lives, not simply individually, but together. God has placed us in each other's lives as a local church to grow us in Christ. Yes, you can grow on your own, but your growth will be stunted because God hasn't designed you to grow in a Christian by yourself. He's designed it that you grow in the local church with other believers. And we to grow in the true message of Christ. The true message of Christ is everything that the Apostle Paul has been teaching us in chapter 1 to 3 about who Christ is and what he has done for us. And we looked at that uh, two weeks ago. Uh, but of course, it's not just those chapters. The entire Bible speaks to the message of Christ. The entire Bible is the word of Christ. Because at the center of the Bible is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Every verse points to him. And so we grow in Christ maybe by allowing the word of God centered on Christ to fill our lives. So we've been looking at this verse 16, which reminds us of this truth. And we have split our exploration of verse 16 in three messages. So this is the third message actually in verse 16. Now the first message we looked at the key command Paul gives us at the start of verse 16. The first sentence there. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. And we said the you there is plural. Let the word of Christ dwell in all of you richly. We should read it. Right? Paul is saying to us, let the true message of Christ drive your every thought, your every feeling, your every action. And let it do this at the individual level, but most importantly, let it do this for all of you together. Growing in Christ is a community project. So how do we help each other to grow in the message of Christ, which in turn grows us in Christ? Well, the answer is in the rest of that verse. Uh, We must speak and sing the message of Christ together. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How? First, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And secondly, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, when it comes to combining word and music, Christians tend to fall into two camps, right? Some think the music supersedes the word, right? So they think that words without music are dry and not important. So you often find people say, worship music speaks to me better than sermons, they would say. Or they would say, look, I can't... I really want to just go to a church where the worship is great. Because that's really what I want. That's what I enjoy, right? That's one group of people. Other people are the extreme end. Other people think music undermines the word. Singing undermines the word. They like to be in a church where there is more talking and less singing, right? They are not pro-singing, right? They think singing is a broad road to heresy, Right? They fear the power of music uh, that they see around society, the power that music seems to have over people. So they want to restrict singing in churches. And of course, we think of the Quakers and their silence, that sort of thing. But the Bible is saying to us here, words and music are not in conflict. God wants us to both speak his word and sing his word Not separately, but together. That's what Paul is getting at in this verse. Now, when we understand that speaking and singing are together meant to help us grow in being filled with the true message of Christ, the result is powerful. 
And that's what Paul intends. So we've been exploring this verse, and last week we looked at why it is important to speak the true message of Christ to one another. We looked at how we should teach one another. And we said teaching isn't just from the pulpit. We are to teach one another as believers, as we interact with one another. And we are to admonish one another. That means correct one another. The church must do that, of course, congregationally. But at the individual level, there must be correction. As we mature in faith, we should be able to correct others. And we looked at all of that last week. And if you missed that, I encourage you to look at the message online. Listen to it. Today, we are, we are, this is the final message in looking at verse 16, and we are focusing on singing together. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. And then Paul says this, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Now, just that final sentence there, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. What is Paul teaching us? I think what Paul is teaching us there is that we grow in Christ by singing the message of Christ together with gratitude to God. How do we grow in Christ? Of course, we grow in Christ by speaking the word. But also, the other way we grow in Christ is that we grow in Christ by singing the message of Christ to God together with Gratitude in the heart to God. And I want us to learn this truth today by learning it and the three lessons that are in your outline. They should be in front of your outline there. The first, thing, the first lesson Paul wants to teach us in that sentence is that we must simply this. We must sing to God together. We must sing to God together. During the pandemic... The government, of course, gave strong advice against singing in places of worship, didn't it? Do you remember that? Feels like a long time ago now. And it was strong advice, which meant that if churches actually decided to sing, they were placing themselves at financial risk, insurance claims and things like that. If things went wrong. Effectively, by the government saying that, they effectively banned it, cleverly, singing without banning it. Because churches then had... Most churches, many churches, couldn't take the risk if the government's advice was strong advice against singing. You just placed them in legal jeopardy. So it was a ban without a ban. And there were moments, actually, when the government banned it all together. Do you remember when we, just have, we could only just do private worship? <laughs> I remember Brother Rob here leading us in private worship. A couple, we did sing, I have to say, but we actually weren't meant to sing. Private worship, there was a ban on it. You can just come and pray only you couldn't actually sing. It was like a semi-lockdown for churches. And of course, that ban really by the government generated endless debates in churches. Some churches have been split over the issue. Because the question was, does God command us to sing or is it an option? We can simply discard. And if we must sing, why does God command us to do it? Now, for me, it was a pointless debate. Because the Bible is very clear on the issue. There are over 400 references to singing in the Bible. And over 50 direct commands to sing. So singing matters to God, and he commands it. Including here in chapter 3, verse 16, which clearly commands us to sing together. We are not invited to sing to God. It's not an invitation. We are commanded to sing to God. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Paul is saying, when we sing at our gathered worship like we have just sung, we are not doing it as some sort of cultural thing. Young people perhaps out here may be thinking, oh, churches we sing, they just do it because we've always done it. No, we do it because God commands us to sing. Right? We are doing what God has commanded. Just as God has commanded us to preach the word, He has commanded us to sing the word. And so if it is humanly possible for us to sing together, and we decide not to sing, we are disobeying God. We are rebelling against the holy word of God. Now, I'm not saying that means that we can't take advice about the dangers of singing when pandemics arise and make decisions. The point I'm making is that that's not a decision the government can make for you. As a church, that's not a decision that Christ has ceded to a human authority. 
No, just as the government has no power to tell us how to preach the word, the government has no power to tell us how to sing the word and when we can sing the word. Just as the government has no power to stop the preaching of the word of Christ, it has no power to stop the gathered singing of praise to God. The government can advise us on the risks of singing, but it cannot prohibit singing in the church. Therefore, it is a sin to sing purely because the government tells you so, or to even use the government as rationale. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Poye is saying we must keep on singing to God together. When we gather on Sunday for worship, we are not coming for sermons only. We are not even here to, for a concert to sit and hear a wonderful pianist play for us. No, no. We are not even here to simply hum the songs or read the words of the music. We have come to sing out our hearts to God in obedience to his words. We are here to take part with our vocal cords to sing joyful praises to Christ. Think about that. That's, God commands that. Now, we often praise and worship God without singing. We do that. So we have to ask, the first question we must ask is, why does God command us to sing also? Why is it important to make melodies to God? Have you thought about that question? Why does God command you to sing? There are many reasons, actually, but one reason is that God commands us to sing because God sings. God sings. Did you know that? Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. We are coming to this in our Bible studies midweek. It says this, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will serve. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exhort over you with loud singing. God sings over you in Christ. Have you thought about that? God so loves you and so delights in you as his child in Christ. He sings over you in Christ. And so when he asks, commands you to sing, he wants you just to become like him. He delights in you, he rejoices over you, and now he says, rejoice in me. So one reason we sing is because God sings, but the other reason we sing is because Christ sings. We know Christ sang on earth. We, we remember the, the disciples going out with a hymn, isn't it? After the Lord's Supper. To the Mount of Olives. It was, they were led out with a hymn. But we also know that most likely Christ, even now in heaven, is singing in the congregation of the saints. And we know that because Hebrews 2, verse 11 to 12 tells us, doesn't it? Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11 to 12. I wonder whether you paused and reflected on this passage. It says, It's for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is, is why he is not ashamed, that is Christ, to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. That's the Lord Jesus. Perhaps even now, in the heavenly congregation, Christ is singing praise as we speak. So God sings. Christ sings. Those are two good reasons to sing. Because if Christ does it, Christ wants us to follow in his footsteps. He sings in the assembly of the saints. And we are to sing in the earthly assembly of saints. But another reason God tells us to sing uh, is, is that singing by nature is undoubtedly the highest expression of our joy and delight in God. Without a doubt. Think about singing at football matches. When does singing in the stadium reach a crescendo? Right? When does it reach a crescendo? Well, it's always when the side is winning. I mean... It's a terrible thing to watch when you see the other side singing when they are seven kneel down. <laughs> you feel pain for them. But when, they are up, when the team is winning, you don't even notice the effort. They're just singing, and it's a delight. The bubbling of joy 
We saw that when England was winning in the World Cup, just the singing, uh, right? The singing, right? It, it reaches a new expression, doesn't it? You, it when, when, when the joy we have bubbles up and it expresses itself in singing. And in the same way, God commands us, this is so important we understand, God commands us to sing not to generate new joy, but to regulate how we express the joy we have in Christ. So God is saying to us, what I have done for you in Jesus is so amazing. It fills you with joy. And and here is how you are to let out that joy. Let it out by singing it out to me. That's essentially what the Bible is saying here. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness for what Christ has done for us in your hearts to God. So all those are good reasons, aren't they, for singing. God sings, Christ sings, and, 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 um, and of course, uh, the expression of joy. Great reasons, and we can add some more. But in verse 16, Paul gives us another great reason. Just one reason why we should sing. And this is our second lesson uh, in this passage. So we must sing to God, right? We must sing together to God. We must sing to God together, right? That's the first lesson. Why? Well, we must sing to God and to each other the message of Christ. That's the reason we should, singing is the way we speak to each other the message of Christ. As we praise God, we are also speaking to each other. So singing in church has both a vertical component to God and the horizontal component, which is as we sing to God, we are also singing to one another the message of Christ. And that's the that's reason Paul gives us here, it's, and it's our second truth here. Singing to church is a wonderful thing, isn't it? It's wonderful to sing in church. I hope, especially as a young person, you, you've discovered the joy. Have you discovered the joy of singing in church? Not yet. We have to work on that, brother Ola, right? With the youth. Get them singing some hymns when they meet, right? I'm sure you're doing that already, right? So singing in church is wonderful, and we need to encourage our young people to discover the joy of, uh, of singing to God. Now, but if you've been in church for a long time, you also know that singing in church sadly leads to division in churches. In, in my old church that became one of the oldest, it was the, uh, one, one among other elders, it was the only thing people wanted to talk to me about. <laughs> and I'm sure Brother Wallach gets questions about it, right? I used to get lots of questions about it. When are we going to have a wider variety of instruments? They would ask. When are you going to talk to the pastors and the elders about this? When is the youth fellowship going to have its own drum kit so that they can sing in church? Uh, somebody would ask me, the, the word of God says, David danced. Why are we not dancing? Sure, like, I'm sure you like a good dance. What's going on there? And why is there no clapping, they said. Why are you elders letting the church feel like a funeral? I'll get that question. When are we going to have a more modern hymn book? I used to get that quite often when I became an elder. And why are we using a hymn book anyway? I would be asked. Instead of just projecting it on the screen. Come on, Chola. Get up with technology. You look like you've got a gadget there. Surely you want something to be projected. And of course, we had a very gifted young lady at the church. And she was a brilliant singer. Very great. She could sing. And we got her to sing once or twice to do a bit of solos. As a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a edification, as it were. And the people loved her when she sang, right, once in a while. And, of course, questions came, came thick and fast. Can we have more solos from her? We need more solos. She's standing. We've got we to get her to sing more, right? So, loads of questions I used to get. And all reasonable questions. But as I've thought about those questions I used to get, I've realized that, sadly... I don't remember anyone asking the most important question about singing, about singing together in the local church. And the most important question we should ask is this. What does God want us to sing? What does God want us to sing? And perhaps a subsidiary question is, and how does God want us to sing? But the most important question is, what does God want us to sing? Because the content of the songs is more important than the expression. 
Biblically, the priority is on the content first and foremost. The expression is important. We'll come to that in a moment. But here is very much the content. Because when we look at verse 16, it is easy to miss the wood for the trees, as it were. The most important thing about singing here is the message of Christ. Because that's what Paul starts with. Let the word of Christ, the message of Christ, dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Paul is saying to the Colossians and us, you must let the message of Christ permeate your life together by filling your singing with the truth of Christ. Right? Because as you sing to God praises, right, you're also singing to one another the true message of Christ, which in turn will grow you to become more and more like Christ. So, so it comes back to this point that biblical singing, as I said, is vertical worship of God that results in horizontal fruit. It is singing that results in building each other up in the truth of Christ. So the top priority for us and any local church is that in our gathered singing, we must ensure our songs are filled with the truth of Christ. So that as we sing, we are growing to become more and more filled with the word of Christ and we are growing in becoming more like Christ. Content takes priority of expression. Now, does this mean the style of singing is not important? No. Style matters. Because Paul gives us here a list of forms of styles we can incorporate in our gathered singing. Look at verse 16 again. How then shall we sing? Well, Paul says, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Three things there. First, we can sing psalms of praise to God. A psalm is a song sang to an instrument, as it turns out. And most likely by psalms here, Paul means the Old Testament psalms. That's the first thing. Secondly, we can sing hymns. That's interesting, isn't it? What's this about a hymn from a psalm? Well, a hymn, what's this about a hymn from other songs is that a hymn is a song of praise to God. So in this case, there's nothing that says apart from a psalm, right? Because in a hymn, God is the theme and object. And of course, that means Old Testament psalms are hymns, but there are other hymns apart from Old Testament psalms, and that's the point Paul is getting at, like the psalms. Like the hymns we sing, right? So you go psalms, you go hymns, right? Finally, we have spiritual songs. What are these? I think these are godly songs about any subject. These are spiritually wise songs, God-honoring songs, right? That are not directly praising God, I think. Some could. But they are teaching us a truth about the message of Christ, about any subject concerning our life in Christ. I think an example of a spiritual song would be some of the songs in the Sunday school where children are taught to remember a Bible story. I think that's a spiritual song. Some of you mums do that at home and um, try and remember, to help kids remember uh, a biblical story or a biblical teaching. Uh, those would, I would say those who fall under spiritual songs. Now, this is an important point. These three forms of song worship, I think when you think about it, when you look at them, they're diverse enough, first and foremost, to allow some people to stick to some, some singing only. There are churches that just want to sing psalms. There's nothing wrong with that. But they're within the boundary of what Scripture has said. Right? You can sing psalms only. That's fine. But at the same time, this is allowing others to create new songs to God, as we read in, as we read in Psalm 96, for example. Right? So there's that broad diversity. Indeed, the hymns we have are new songs, and they? they are in addition to the, to, the, to, the, to the psalms. There's also enough diversity in verse 16 to allow singing with any instrument, because psalms, by definition, is a song sung to an instrument. Right? So you could use a piano, or a guitar, or a tambourine or whatever. Or you could decide not to sing, use any instrument at all. That's allowed within the boundary of this verse. 
And I think there is enough flexibility here to allow occasions when a gifted singer can sing solo once in a while to edify the church. Because the goal here is to get across the message of Christ if, through music. I wouldn't say if necessary, actually. That, it, that, would, that would be limiting the force of the verse. In word and music. And I think this situation also allows a situation in which a choir can help the church to sing. As we see in the Old Testament. Or to sing without a choir as we see in the early church. The, singing, the, the Lord Jesus didn't have a choir. <laughs> so when the disciples sang, they were just singing them without a choir. So that's allowed too. Right? So here's the thing. So, so you see the flexibility this verse allows but let's remember two things. The key thing is this. The key thing is to ensure our singing is being done in such a way that it fulfills two critical conditions. Right? Two things must be fulfilled. First, our singing together must be worthy of the majesty and the holiness of God. We are here to sing praises to God, not to us. So we must ensure our singing is done with reverence. We're in the presence of God with awe. Very aware of his holiness. Very aware of his majesty. We are singing to the creator of the heavens and the earth. So if that's the first thing. We must ask ourselves as a church, is our singing worthy of the majesty of God? And there I said, that doesn't mean, I'm not saying that means because we sing like that. I mean, if God is who God is, we must lift up our hearts to him. We must raise the roof, I would even say, vocally to him. He is surely worthy. All of creation sings to God. That's the God we're talking about. The God who created the heavens and the earth. Right? Not of idols. The true God. We must ask ourselves, is this, if somebody walked here, would they get the impression that these people are singing to the God who created heaven and earth? That's an interesting question. There must be reverence, there must be seriousness, and there must be true feeling involved, and there must be serious effort put into worship. We must not allow the prophets of Baal, of Baal as it were, to outdo us in singing. Nah, it must be worthy of the majesty and holiness of God. Don't miss that, holiness and majesty. Secondly, the singing style and instrument must assist. This is the second condition. First condition, worthy of the majesty of God. Second condition, the singing style and instruments must assist in stimulating the people in a holy way to take in the true message of Christ. I've said that very carefully because it's so important. Music instruments must not take away from our concentration from the message of Christ. It should be helping us concentrate, helping us meditate on the word of Christ. Remember, it is the word of Christ that must sit at the heart of our singing. And so immediately, this means that we must not sing in a way that excites our flesh. Oh, beloved, look. We must not sing together in a way that takes us back to our old student days of clubbing and things like that. When you're singing, you must feel you're doing something completely other. You're singing to the Lord, not being down at the pub. Your singing, your singing must not be worldly. We must sing in a way that makes us long for heaven. It must lift up our hearts to think much of the loveliness of our Lord Jesus. And that immediately means there's a lot of things that we must not even be thinking about singing. Or styles that just are ruled out from singing. Because they are worldly. So we must sing with reverence. We must sing in a way that makes the message of Christ come quickly. There's, there's, there are many instruments we can use, but we have to think about what instrument can we use that if it's accompanying us, we are still able to meditate on the truth of the message of Christ? Because the instrument must head that. What instrument is going to make us, help us to even think lovely thought of Christ? 
Now, when we are singing together like this, we'll grow in being filled with the true message of Christ, and we'll together become more like Christ. But here's the question, right? How does the singing of the word of Christ together grow us in Christ? How does that happen? So the point of singing together is that we would praise God and that we would grow one another in Christ. But how does that happen? Well, it goes back to verse 16, isn't it? Teaching and admonishing, right? As we sing the message of Christ, what are we doing? We are teaching one another in Christ. I'm currently reading um, very slowly a biography of John Newton, right? The former slave trader. Uh, it's written by Jonathan Aitken. It's really a good biography. I commend it to you, right? But I've been reading it very slowly. And I'm in the middle of a section where it talks about John Newton's hymn writing, right? And I discovered that John Newton wrote hymns like Amazing Grace, which we'll sing later, right? Because they were intended as summaries of sermons he was preaching on. So he will come and preach on a subject like this. He prepares a sermon. And then he thinks to himself... What can really help the congregation to get this truth in four minutes? To really take away the key thing. And then you'll write the hymn. <laughs> I was thinking about this. I'm like, how did you do that? <laughs> how, what? Where did you get the time from? <laughs> well, he was gifted, of course, but it's just like, wow. I mean, that's amazing. When you think of how many hymns he wrote. And the fact that he built that in his preaching preparation to write the hymn to go along with it. It's amazing, isn't it? And it's quite difficult. It's very difficult. Impossible, I would say. Uh, For me, anyway. But what John Newton was doing is leaving out verse 16. He was teaching the truth of God through a song in a memorable way. In a way that made the word dwell. And most of you, some of you parents know this already if you're teaching your children. We teach, research shows now the best way for kids to take in information is to teach them through a song. You've taught them verbally, but give them something, a song that they can sing. And they'll remember that. I was amazed, actually, this past week, as I, as I was speaking to my daughter, and, and, and she's been learning all these songs uh, for part of our, our work that the mom teaches her. And I was completely shocked that she has understood the entire world history timeline, the key events in history, just by song. I don't even know some of the events. I'm like, oh, what's that? Okay, that's interesting. Helen of Aquitaine, that's interesting. But my, <laughs> but my point is that she, through music, and that's what John Newton was doing, and that's what the Apostle Paul is encouraging us here. As we sing to one another, as we sing to God, we are also singing to one another, and we are letting the Word of God dwell in us richly. And not just to believers, but also singing together helps us teach those who are here who are not true Christians. And parents, be encouraged that perhaps the kids will slip through the message, right? <laughs> but they have sung, and I think through that hymn, the Lord may yet be speaking to them through the hymn. Because think about one of the hymns we sing here, uh, which goes like this. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in his grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? And then he goes on and goes on, and then he ends at the end, doesn't he? The hymn with an invitation to the non-believer. Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin. And be washed in the blood of the Lamb. There is a fountain flowing for the soul unclean. Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb. I think singing that, they sing it once, twice, third. And perhaps an adult comes along and says, what did you make of that hymn at the end of the service? Perhaps they hadn't taken notice of it, but next time they sing it, they think about it. I think God is at work through that hymn for four minutes to convict them of sin. I'm pretty sure many sinners have come to Christ through that great hymn. It's a powerful hymn. Another hymn we sang. I, sang, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus. Another hymn. How he could love me, a singer. A sinner condemned. Not a singer, right? <laughs> Definitely not. A sinner <laughs> condemned and, and clean. It's convicting power there for the non-believer. So the message of Christ teaches us, uh, the singing teaches us the message of Christ, but also singing the message of Christ helps us to correct one another. It does, as we sing it together. Imagine for a minute a believer among us. He has had a bad week, a difficult week. The kids at home have been misbehaving. 
His neighbors have been rude to him. And work feels hard. The boss is rude perhaps to him. He's feeling down. He thinks God is absent. He's gloomy about life. That person needs someone to correct his thoughts. But the only problem is no one knows what's going on in his heart. Only God does. And then that brother walks into church, doesn't he? And then the first hymn he sings says this. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. And then he goes on and he says, What heights of life, what depths of peace, when fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. And then what happens is, all of a sudden, without being unaware, he's being confronted by the truth of Christ. He's a true believer, and as he sings that, he's asking himself, do I believe what I'm singing? Or am I making a mockery of God? Are these just words to me? And as he reflects on that in his seat, when he sits down, he comes perhaps quietly before God to thank him for Christ and to repent for his lack of trust in him And all of that has happened without hearing the sermon. Without falling asleep in the sermon. God has done his work. He doesn't need the boring preacher. The word has been delivered. The brother has been renewed by the singing in the church of that. Do you see? Singing together is not only an act of worship. It is a gift from God to grow us in Christ. As a true message of Christ teaches and corrects us. Our songs are not about making us feel good or entertain us. Our singing is an act of war, beloved. It's an act of war against sin, and it is a means of grace to grow us to love Christ. So what does this mean for the church? Well, it means three things. First of all, it means you as a person must desire and pray for our church to grow in singing better. And more Christ-centered way. You pray for the preaching of the word of God, I hope. right? You pray that God will accompany the preaching of the word. Do you pray the same for our gathered singing? Do you pray for the pianists? Do you pray that God uses them, accompanies them with power as they sing? That they would not just be going through motion, but they would be delighting in what they are singing. And that we wouldn't just go through motion, but delight in the God we are singing to. Do you pray that God would help you use your vocal cord better as you sing in church? Do you spend time learning the songs so that they could speak to your heart before you come here? And, and that, that you can get better at singing them out from your heart before God. So this is challenging us to pray for how we sing. And secondly, I think it means, it, it, it means you should resolve to always be gathered on Sundays, not only to hear the preaching of the word, but also to sing the word of God. Look, you can get the preaching, I'm sure, online, but we don't record the hymns. This is a gathered singing. I hope you regret when you miss sitting under the preaching of the word for, for a sinful reason. But I ask you, do you regret missing the opportunity to sing the word of God? Do you regret missing the opportunity to hear how to sing the message of Christ to God? So that you can be edified by their singing to God. You should. Because being gathered together, again, is a gift from God. This gathered singing is a gift from God in Christ. And when you do not gather to sing, you are cutting off your legs. For walking in Christ. Do you see what the pandemic did? Two things God has given us. He completely cut off one. Completely. Finally, the other third thing is that it means you should participate actively in singing. We need one another to sing well. Right? Your singing voice matters to the person next to you. As we sing to God, yes, I know some of you are just as bad as me at singing, right? 
But your voice matters. God is looking, wants you to participate. And as we sing to God and to one another, we are encouraging our walk with Christ. We are teaching and correcting one another in the truth of Christ. Okay? So those are the two things, right? We, we, we must sing to God together. And the second thing is that we must sing to God with, uh, we must sing to God and to one another the message of Christ. Let me just finish quickly uh, the, the, the final thing here. Because Paul gives us one final lesson, and it's important. We must sing to God, the third truth, we must sing to God with a grateful heart. With a grateful heart. Our singing should not simply be lip service. It should come from a new heart that is thankful for who Christ is and what he has done for us. Don't miss how this verse ends. With thankfulness in your hearts to God. What is the heart? Well, the heart is the inner you, isn't it? It is the center or seat of all spiritual life and strength. It is your mind, your will, and affections. Now, the Bible says something has gone terribly wrong with every human heart, right? When Adam and Eve rebelled against God, sin entered the world. And so every human heart that is born in this world is born spiritually dead. Right? All of us enter this world without life with, without life with God. That's a default. That's a default. Young and old. But the good news of the Bible is that God has come as a heart surgeon, a spiritual heart surgeon, to give all who truly repent and trust in Jesus a new spiritual heart transplant. The Lord Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sins, to suffer the wrath and punishment of God that we deserve because of our sins. And he rose from death so that anyone who truly repents and trusts in him can be forgiven of sin and receive new spiritual life with God forever. Not just life with God, we can have a new holy nature, a new heart. Right? A new heart. But to receive this new heart, uh, a new heart that can sing praises to God. Now, to receive this new heart, uh, you must go to God, admit that you are a rebel against God. You must admit that you have betrayed the God who created you. That you don't live for you. You don't live for him. You live for yourself. And that you cannot honor God as he deserves to be honored. And so you only deserve his wrath and judgment and punishment in hell. That's where you are headed. You must admit that. And you must accept that you have nothing to offer God to forgive you. And so now you come before God begging God to forgive you only based on the death of Jesus on the cross for your sin. You are saying to God, forgive my wretched soul, O Lord, or I perish. Save me from wrath. Make me your child. Give me new life. Not because I am good, but because you are good. Because you are good in Christ. And Christ has died for my sins on that cross. That's a true Christian. Someone who's trusting only on the death of Jesus for their sin. If you have truly repented like that, you know what God has done? God has cracked open your chest and he has removed your dead heart corroded by sin and filth and he has given you a brand new heart. If you haven't done that, you have still got a dead heart and you are heading to hell forever. You have no life with God. But if you have truly repented, if you truly repent even today, God gives you a brand new heart. Young or old, and you can do that right now. You can come to God, repent of your sin, and trust in Him. And God will give you this new heart. Now the amazing thing is that in verse 16, Paul is saying to those who have a new heart, because you have a new heart, you can sing and must sing to God from, his, from this new heart. With thankfulness in your new hearts to God. Paul is saying, look, you are not like non-believers who are mute before God. You know, when non-believers sing to God, you know what God does? God shuts his ears to them. The singing of a non-believer is an abomination to God. It is an abomination to God. God is not interested in the praises of anyone 
who refuses the fundamental offer he gives, which is repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. Do you think God is going to love you singing to him when you have rejected his son who paid the price on that cross for you? No, God loves Jesus too much to allow even a minuscule decibel of your singing. It's a noisy gong. He cannot hear your praises. Young or old, if you have not truly repented, God isn't delighted in your music. In, 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 in the Old Testament, he says, take away. He tells the children of Israel who have a covenant with him, take away all of these things. Because they are not showing love. Now imagine what he says to people. He thinks of people who have no love for him at all. He is repulsed by that. Oh, beloved, if you, if you haven't come to Christ, do it today. Make your singing count from now on in church. Because so far what you've been doing, coming to church, you've been insulting God for a whole year with your singing. If you haven't truly repented. It's that serious. And as parents, let's be broken by that. Let us pray that our children will stop insulting God and that they will truly repent and submit to the authority of Christ. But if you have a new heart, and I must finish soon preaching, if you have a new heart, your singing is not an abomination to God. You're a true child of God. You are different. God hears your singing. That's why Paul is saying, with thankfulness in your hearts, because it's a regenerate heart to God. God hears your singing. And because God hears your singing, brother, sister, because God hears your singing, don't sing to God with your lips only. Why would you do that? You have a heart that can sing out to God. So sing out from the heart. Let it overflow with thanks. That's what Paul is saying. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Don't miss that point. Our singing must be rooted in thankfulness. Paul is saying the singing God wants is singing that thanks God for Christ from the heart. Regardless of what is going on in our lives, it is thanking God for what Christ has done, who Christ is, what he has done for us. And it is this singing with a grateful heart for our Lord Jesus, uh, for who the Lord Jesus Christ Jesus is and what he's done for us that, 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 that grows us into Christ-likeness before God. So finally, how do we grow in singing like that? How can we sing when we gather with a grateful heart? Let me just give you three quick things, then I'll end, right? First thing, to help us grow to sing with gratitude to God. First thing is we must keep singing the message of Christ by singing it regularly in the church together. Just singing the message of Christ grows us to sing it with gratitude. The gospel is its own promoter. We don't have to get ourselves excited to sing of Christ. As we sing the gospel, it grows our thankfulness for Christ. The words themselves challenge us. And many times I've been singing and I've started that slowly. Then a word has hit me and all of a sudden I've been with gratitude and thankfulness. I found that this morning as we were singing this hymn. As, as I came to that verse, it says, He took my sorrows and my sins and made them his very own. I was pierced in my heart. He made them his very own. Christ did that for me. And in the middle of singing, I'm saying, Thank you, Jesus, for that. The gospel is his promoter, so just keep singing word filled messages, word filled songs. Because the gospel, as you keep doing that regularly in gathered worship, it will grow you in singing. The second thing is prepare your heart to sing praises to God before you come to gathered worship. Meditate on the truth of Christ in the Bible before you come to church. Your Sunday singing must come from a place of deep love for who Christ is and what he has done for you. And that requires discipline. Your whole week should be preparing you to come and sing praises to God. You're not going to sing with thankfulness to God on a Sunday if throughout the week you have not been meditating about who Christ is and what he's done for you. It's, it's just not going to happen. So if you're going to sing with gratitude on a Sunday, you're going to spend time in the week, particularly on a Saturday, praying, meditating about who Christ is, 
what is done for you. And then when you arrive Sunday morning, well, you arrive ready to worship him. Now I know this is hard for all of us, isn't it? To do this, to prepare, to come prepared to sing. And I'm just telling you this, I feel like a fraud uh, telling you this, because we all struggle with this. I struggle with this. But as I thought about this truth, we need to take this truth seriously. All of us need to repent for how poor we prepare for gathered assembly. How tired we come to church. How little we thought of Christ throughout the week. How careless we come into the gathered assembly. How late we are to sing praises to God. You cannot tell me that if you are in a rush just to get here, when you sit here, you're going to think the wondrous truth of Christ. It's not true. It won't happen. It can only happen if we are ready. We've been thinking of Christ. We've been meditating on him. We are living our lives in such an organized way that we recognize the priority of what we are doing. And so, as I said, I'm a fellow sinner in this. My salaries are not good. My wife will tell you that. It can be better. And the week can be better. And there I say we can do better worship in the home to then prepare us for gathered worship with the saints. And we need to help one another in this. Teach one another in this. Correct one another in this. So that we can together sing with thankful hearts. I'll, I'll end with the final thing. We can't do this without prayer. We need to pray to God to grow us in thankfulness. And that thankfulness can then result in growing in singing praises together, filled with the message of Christ. Well, I hope that has been helpful to you because the pastor has taught us that we grow in Christ by singing the true message of Christ together from our hearts that are filled with gratitude to God. And I hope that that has given you some thought about what we sing. I know we spent a lot of time through this verse, a lot of uh, three hours, I'm sure. Um, but I hope it's been helpful just for us to think about how we do things in the church. And um, I, don't worry, next week the message will be much shorter uh, than we have done it today.